0: Arthur Moses, grandfather, expanded his knowledge to encompass the marine navigation and became a master and owner of several vessels and he used these to transport uh, food and, and materials to the Labrador coast and also fished, had fishing rooms there. And uh, back in the day, there was like stationers and floaters uh, that settled in Labrador in the summer months and came back to Newfoundland in, in the fall year with their catches uh, of salt cod in the fall. Welcome to the Bed Night Lunch podcast, a podcast where we delve into the unseen history and folklore of Carboneer. Where each episode, we invite you to sit down and enjoy a nice bed night lunch while we take a journey back through history. Now, here are your hosts, Preston Griffin, Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Head, Sarah Clark, and myself, Noah Green. Welcome to today's episode of the Bed Night Lunch podcast. We're going to be discussing the fisheries here in Carbonier. Huge thank you to Fred Earl for that little excerpt in the beginning about his family and the Labrador fishery. So I think we're going to start off by talking about the, uh, the Labrador fishery or the migratory fishery, and um, we'll just get into that a little bit before we progress on to sealing and then the inshore fishery here
1: so the migratory fishery um, involved people sailing from newfoundland to labrador in order to fish there Uh, so they either stopped at land that they already owned and fished from there those were called stationers or they stayed on their uh, ship or boat or whatever they sailed up in and they moved to different fishing grounds so those were called floaters Uh, the floaters were a lot more mobile than stationers but the fish had to be heavily salted uh, because they weren't able to take it out and dry it Mm-hmm. Um, like the stationers would be able to. Uh, so the fishery season lasted um, from like early May or April into early fall, but the conditions were still harsh at times.
2: Fish merchants used to send the fishermen down to the Labrador coast. Uh, John Rourke actually had two places on the Labrador coast, Benison uh, Island and St. Francis Harbour. Uh, he used to send his fishermen down there and they used to fish seasonal like caitlin mentioned once they caught their quota they take the fish back to their stores or the rooms and they would uh, debone fill it and lay them out on flakes to dry and once they were dry they would uh, box them up and they'd be shipped back over to carboneer where john rourke the merchant would sell them
1: right. Yeah, I think we could talk more about the process of cleaning the fish. Like the different stages. There would be like one person who specifically cut the head off the fish, another person who like removed the bone, and you had to be really good at removing the spine bone, or you'd uh, damage the quality of the fish and it would suffer less.
2: You'd also cut the tongues out. Yeah. Mm. Uh, if they. Most. Back in the day, uh, most fish were salted because. That's just the way it was, so you wouldn't peel the skin off, nothing like like you wouldn't skin them, anything like that. But nowadays they skin them, they make fillets or they salt them, right. and it was just more common to salt them.
0: I think uh, yeah. again, too, like the heavy use of salt would have something to do with preservation, with a lot yeah, of Yeah, it was the only
1: way they could keep the fish last because they would salt the fish and put it in barrels, and it would be like in their stores until they came back in the fall right. and then it would be sold Zero for to different places. Yeah, so they'd literally just split the fish, salt it, and dry it. That was the entire process, pretty much.
0: Another really interesting topic I wanted to touch on was actually the the journey to Labrador. And I think before recording earlier, you mentioned something about the Labrador boxes.
1: Yeah, so um, you'd probably think that the trip to Labrador would be kind of quick. We're pretty close together here. Um, But it would actually take quite a few weeks to get to Labrador and they'd be on. Um, Most families would have to take these uh, large schooners like the Kyle. The Kyle used to make the trip to Labrador. Um, So they'd be on there for like weeks at a time. So they had these things they called Labrador boxes. um, Which like the women would start packing these really early. They'd like tuck stuff away throughout the year. So this would be like full of like clothes and blankets. bread, jam, cheese, things that they could eat on the trip to Labrador. And usually with these Labrador boxes, they would come in different um, proportion sizes. One small box would be used to serve one person, one big box would be used to serve the entire family. Right. Yeah, so there'd be like entire families going out, like the husband, the wife, and however many kids they had. But there'd also be uh, single men often going down, usually under a merchant, so they'd have a much smaller box because they needed a lot less. Right. Um, So like I mentioned earlier, kind of on the theme that they'd be gone for a while so they had to pack a lot, a lot of the children ended up missing quite a fair bit of school. Like a lot of kids wouldn't be able to write their final exams. And so they didn't get their high school diploma as a result of that. There's one story in particular that has always really stuck with me from the museum, and that's the story of Hilda Mahaney. So Hilda used to travel to the Labrador with her family each summer, and she was a very smart young woman. So because so many kids missed, uh, like, several months of school a year, uh, she took it upon herself to teach these kids. So she did this every summer when she went to Labrador. And she was very fortunate. She was able to get her high school diploma. And so she continued to go back to the Labrador with her family each summer and she continued to teach the kids but unfortunately at around the age of 20 I believe she contracted tuberculosis and unfortunately passed away which I think is a shame she could have done so much more.
0: I think it's really important to talk about a lot of the women in history in that time too because I feel so often they go completely unnoticed.
1: So something that goes um, unnoticed a lot in this time period is that the women did as much or more work than the men. Uh, So they cooked at least like five meals a day. So they had to be up like before the men were awake to have a meal ready for them to go before they went out at the nets and stuff. And then they cooked several more throughout the day. They also had to watch the children, do laundry. Um, They often helped with salting and drying the fish. They also helped with cutting up wood. Yeah, they'd cut wood, they'd be baking bread, um, fixing clothes, Uh, like they often were mending things things like that. They just did so much and it's not documented as well as it should be, I think.
0: No, definitely. I think I think there's a huge understatement to the difficulty of running a household like that, especially in a time period like that. And,
2: and it's not, it's not, also not like having one or two kids like nowadays. Mm-hmm. They used to have like nine and ten. Like, and I know people so had twelve kids.
1: Like, yeah, no, that's kids, crazy.
0: And uh, to essentially be a single parent. Well, yeah, like, they
1: were pretty much a single parent because the men would be gone from like 4 a.m. or earlier well into the day out fishing. Hmm. So it was just them watching these like 8, nine, ten kids. Which I
0: know, I- um, especially with the, like, that, the migratory fishery, there's a lot of times where you might not see your, your spouse for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely difficult. And I feel like we definitely don't talk about that enough. And I think that's time for us to move into
2: our next topic, which is the seal fishery.
1: So, sealing involved getting a berth, or what they call a ticket, on a ship that traveled to the ice floes near Newfoundland and Labrador. And back in the day, they used to club the seals, but
2: now times have changed, and they actually shoot them and use the cap to them in.
0: Right. You know, and, and just in an attempt to make things a little bit more lighthearted and go to our normal... Uh, segment, Fun Facts with Caitlin, so uh, I'll give it to you.
2: I'm Caitlin, and this is your fun fact for today. Um, there's actually only one high-end fashion designer in the world that uses steel fur, and that is Donatella Versace.
0: Thanks so much for that fun fact, Caitlin. I think only you would know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think we want to move on to our next topic now, uh, about the insurance fishery.
1: So the inshore fishery was the staple of the industry in the 19th century. Um, it's probably not as exciting as some of the other kinds of fisheries because it basically just involved, um, you'd get in a boat, you'd go out and catch the fish, you'd cure them and dry them on flakes like we talked about earlier, and then you'd sell them to a fish merchant in exchange for store credits, everything worked on a credit system back then. So basically you'd sell it to the fish merchant, get credit, use it to buy more supplies to go fishing or like hopefully build up a little credit throughout the winter so that your family could survive. So I think the best person here suited to talk about fishing is Caitlin because she actually fishes quite a bit herself.
2: Yeah, so I've been fishing for a few years. Um, usually in April, or May, we start at the crab and we go until the June or the middle of June. And then after that, we start at the Caitlin and the Caitlin will go for a couple weeks usually. And then the cod comes in after that. So we'll set the gill nets. And that goes on until November. Um, it's actually really interesting because you know the cod's coming when the Caitlin comes because the cod goes after the caplin. okay. So then you know it's coming. And. Yeah, so that's basically the layout of it, and then the next year we started getting eight-by-the-crap. So back in the day, instead of setting nets, most people would actually set traps. So you would set like a squid trap, or a cod trap, and the squid actually happens right before the cod usually, or right when the cod comes. Squid is very different because you don't know when they're coming or how long they'll last. Mm. You could go out there and be out there a couple hours and then just like back to ground. You really don't know. But um, nowadays, most people set nets. I know a couple people still set traps, but it's just really what you prefer doing. Right. And yeah, I actually have a fun story for you guys. A couple weeks ago, I was out card jigging and... I didn't know nothing. And a shark came up at the top of the water after my fish. I was hauling my fish up and when I looked over here it was just <laughs> lying on its belly. And um, we had to actually keep our hands and our heads inside the boat because if you hauled it up far enough and went to get it, like your fish, the shark would just jump up and grab it. Like it was no trouble for him to do it. <laughs> and that happened a couple of times and then he went away. I don't know where he went.
0: How, <laughs> how big of a shark are we talking? Um, that...
2: It was like an eight foot shark. Like it was pretty big, six or seven. It was it was big.
0: That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Does that kind of stuff happen a lot? <laughs>
2: um, That's the first time I encountered one like that. But you're after hearing tell of people getting them in their nets. Mm. Like just, it gets tangled up right and it can't get out, so. It Could got no choice, but it's just... Could you, know.
0: you fish shark here if you had the means? for it?
2: I mean, I don't think there will be any profit in it. Mm. Like, I wouldn't be eating shark. I don't know about you guys. I wouldn't <laughs> use shark to eat it. I just, it's just not my desire. <laughs> they eat everything. Oh, I tried so,
1: shark. Really? I tried yeah. What's it like? I accidentally ordered it from a sushi place, but it was good. Great.
0: Yeah. The shark tastes like... <laughs>
1: I don't know how to explain it. It's not great. I would never order it again, but it wasn't the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life.
2: Okay. Well, actually, I have another story. Um, back in the day, I don't know if I mentioned, but my pop's a fisherman mm. and he's hauling his nets one day and actually caught a six foot sturgeon.
0: Okay, you're going to have to explain to me because I'm, I'm so the out of this realm. What is a sturgeon? What is a sturgeon?
2: So, a sturgeon is actually from the Black Sea, Okay. which is like way over not here at all. <laughs> um, but it actually managed to come over here and get stuck in his neck. So, he was in the newspaper and everything, and he was holding it up, and it was right, like it was taller than him, you know. But it was really cool, like he was, he was a local that caught something like that. What does a really
0: sturgeon cool. look like?
2: Huh? Um, it's. Is it like it a has a long, pointy nose. Okay. Um, but it actually like is only meant for warm water. So like we don't even know how it got over here. It was pretty. It was amazing actually. And I still have the newspaper to go home. I have it framed. It's really nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really interesting to hear family stories like that. And so is a is a lot of your family fishing. Um,
2: my grandfather was, mm. and my boyfriend fishes with his pop and his father so it's like generational (laughs) but i i used to go with my pop and for the past three years i've been going in with my boyfriend fishing so
0: okay so uh, i think we are approaching uh, the end of our time for today so thank you for tuning in and i'll hand off our closing remarks to my co-host Caitlin clark
1: i'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us this week on the bed night lunch podcast if you guys are interested in hearing more from us, be sure to keep an eye on the Town of Carbonair Facebook page and all of our other social media. I've been Caitlin Clark.
0: I've been Preston Griffin. I've been Noah Green.
1: I've been Sarah Clark. And I've been Caitlin Head, and this is... The, the Bed, Bed Night,
0: Night Lunch Podcast!
2: We should go for a jig now.